Shalom. This is Mark Robinson, Executive Director of Jewish Awareness Ministries. Welcome to Jewish Awareness Podcast, a teaching ministry of Jewish Awareness Ministries. On Friday nights at our headquarters, we host a Bible study. Generally, we do verse-by-verse studies of different books of the Bible. These studies can be viewed live through the JAM Facebook live stream platform on Fridays. If you have questions or would like additional information, go to our website, jewishawareness.org. Email us at office at jewishawareness.org or call us at 919 919- Two seven five four four seven seven. Enjoy the Bible study. Hebrews chapter eleven, and uh, slowly moving through chapter eleven and verses thirty through thirty-one. Um, there's, I think that I, th- I hope there's enough printouts. There's a couple up here. Um, if we need some extra, um, or if there's others around. <coughs> Does everybody have a printout that needs one? Okay. Okay, Hebrews chapter 11, 30 and verse 31. Uh, interesting couple of verses. Um, the first verse uh, doesn't even mention any uh, people by name. Uh, all it does is say, by faith the walls of Jericho fell down. And then the next verse to me, one of the uh, uh, anomalies of this whole chapter, in a sense, uh, Rahab. You, know, you have this great chapter on, on faithful people and, and some of the, uh, the giants of, of the Word of God, you know, Abraham and Isaac and, 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 and all these giants of the faith. And then we have this harlot, <laughs> this uh, stuck into here. Well, let me, let me just read what I put down in the introduction. The, the conquest of Jericho was a miraculous event that was done by an act of God through the faith of Joshua and the Israelites, not just Joshua. I think that's why there's no mention of an individual here. Um, Through the faith of Joshua and the Israelites. In the first chapter of Joshua, we are given God's recipe for success. And we'll look at that. It's verse 8 of Joshua chapter 1. And at least in the King James Version, it's the only time success is used in the Word of God. I'm not sure of other versions. Uh, So God's a recipe for success. But what is interesting, I think, about that recipe, it mirrors what we are told about faith in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. So um, the way to have success then, ipso facto, is have faith. A biblical faith. We'll look at that shortly. So success is not making a lot of money. It's not being a chief executive in a company. It's not attaining athletic accomplishments or a myriad of other pursuits the world offers. Because the world looks at success if you're a very uh, rich individual, powerful individual, accomplished individual when it comes to Uh, some kind of athletic feat or whatever the case might be. That is not God's barometer. That's not his standard of measurement for what's successful. Rahab is one of the more unlikely people to be included in this chapter of faith or faithful. 
people. Abel, Enoch, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, others in this chapter, uh, we can certainly understand. But why Rahab? Have you ever thought of that? As, you know, why Rahab? Uh, Rahab, though, reminds us, I believe, that God's blessing of our lives and satisfaction with our life with him is not only for the giants of faith, such as Abraham, but also include those like Rahab, a Gentile prostitute. Yeah, you can extrapolate that thought to today, and, and we think of, um, there's a lot of well-known preachers in our world. Uh, you can name whomever you want to name as a well-known, famous preacher. Um, the Rahabs are in the pews, and they are just as faithful in God's sight if they are following God and walking with God as that preacher may or may not be, for that matter, uh, that's in the pulpit. So uh, I, I find it fascinating that we have Rahab in this whole list of people. But she is there uh, in verse 31. But we're going to start in verse, uh, chapter, in verse 30 of chapter 11, which says, By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they were compassed about seven days. Now, Joshua 1, 5 and 9, by faith. Uh, in verses 5 and 9 of the first chapter, we are told this. There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Have not I commanded thee, be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee wheresoever thou goes. Now, what a send-off, what a commissioning. Um, would God that he would speak to any one of us like that, right? Wouldn't you like to God to come up and say, hey, Joyce, I'm with you. <laughs> you know, don't be afraid of anybody. Just like I was with Moses, I'm with you. You know, he doesn't do that for us, at least not directly like he did with Joshua. But Joshua certainly uh, would be standing on firm ground in what he did eventually because it, it's all predicated, ultimately, which is what faith is predicated on, the word of God, and God spoke to him. In verses 7 and 8 of chapter 1, the key to spiritual success is faith. Now, I put down 11.1 again of Hebrews. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And just to remind us, as we, as we move through this chapter, and, and uh, over and over and over again, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith, Faith is always predicated, built on, the foundation of the Word of God. The substance, and, and that Greek word there, was used at that time in history to speak of title deed, uh, or, or the foundation, or the solid rock, as it were, that you have. I mean, if you have a, a piece of property, or home, or whatever, and you have that title deed to it and it's all paid off that is solid proof you can base your existence at least in relation to that that house on that title deed that's what substance is it's the title deed it's that foundation uh, that we have is substance is the word of the uh, of God verse 7 says this in Joshua chapter 1 the book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, 
but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. So Joshua is told, and by extension, we could apply this to every single one of us. Joshua, I'm going to be with thee. But what you need to do is you need to make sure that the book of the law. Now, there's not a lot of the word of God that has been revealed at this time in history. Uh, you had the book of the law. You had um, the five books of Moses. Moses says perished at this time. He's passed away. And so you had the five books of Moses. You probably had the book of Job. But you didn't have anything else of uh, the written word of God. So what he had, as little as it was compared to what we have, Joshua, make sure that this book of the law does not depart out of your mouth. But I want you to meditate in the word of God. How often? All the time. Day and night. All the time. And so that's what biblical faith is. Standing on the word of God. Knowing the word of God. That is the substance. That is the basis. That is the ground. That is the foundation. And that is no different with Joshua and what God was telling him. But then the second part of the uh, definition, if you will, of faith in Hebrews 11.1, 1, the evidence of things not seen. And the evidence there is in your life. In other words, we believe the word of God, but we live the word of God out. Biblical faith is always based on the word of God, and it, it manifests itself, it shows itself in our life, in our actions. And so if we are going to live for God properly, biblically, glorifying God, we must know then what? First step, the word of God. Look at what verse 8 of um, Joshua 1 says. That you observe to do according to all that is written therein. Now, I have both verses in totality right under this. But Joshua, don't know, not only should need you to meditate day and night on the book of the Lord and it not depart out of your mouth, but Joshua... You need to observe what my word says. You need to follow through. It needs to be evidenced, in other words, in your life. So here we have a mirror. We have a, a carbon copy, if you will, uh, of Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, in biblical faith and how Joshua can be successful. Look at verse 7 in, in the entire verse. Uh, Only be thou strong and very courageous that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law, which my, Moses, my servant, commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. So the command was, observe everything that Moses commanded. Now, again, he didn't have a lot of the word of God. To extrapolate this, we are to follow uh, the Bible. And actually, today, we are not under the Mosaic Law, because that's been done away with. We're under the law of Christ. It's a whole other subject. We've looked at it before. But in Joshua's time, keep the, keep the law of Moses. But also notice what he says. Turn not from it to the right hand 
or to the left? You know, I think one of the um, propensities of the human spirit is to swerve, <laughs> you know. Uh, we, get, we, we get a lot of people, liberals, Christians. I'm talking about Christians now. I'm talking about Bible-believing Christians who swerve to the left. And they swerve towards the liberal end of oftentimes social things. And they want to mimic the world. Now, I don't understand why any Christian wants to mimic the world. Uh, but there are those who want to mimic the world. And uh, seemingly Christians oftentimes pick up worldly interests 5, 10, 20 years after the world has uh, introduced them and more or less moved on oftentimes from some of those things. We don't need to go to the left. But it, it, it's, it's a failure of, it's our sin nature at that time. But there's another, don't go, don't go off to the right either. There are those Christians who add layer upon layer to the word of God. And, and, and they're very conservative. They're very uh, fundamental oftentimes. I, I think I've, I've shared this story before. Cheryl and I, um, we were just married, Cheryl, when uh, he preached that message, or maybe before we were married. I don't remember. Do you remember? Okay, we were just married. And we were going to the church that I was a member of. And the, and the pastor gets up, and I will not mention his name. You wouldn't know him anyway. But anyway, and, and he says, some of you wonder why we have different rules and regulations in this church. There's all kinds of rules and regulations not based, that was not from the Bible. And he said, it's very simple. He said, we're looking out for your best interests. The, yes, the Bible says this, but we don't want you to, to, to break that command. So we put a fence here. And that way, if, if you happen to break this command, you still haven't broken God's command. And so if we put one or two or three fences up, that safeguards you that you won't break God's law. Well, a couple came up to us that we had been, uh, I don't know if counseling is the right word, probably discipling better. And, and they had questions about the law, and, and I shared about the law with them. And, and, and the reasons that the, uh, the rabbis came up with uh, all these extra big biblical regulations, um, the Talmud developed, the oral law, was well-meaning in its intent, just like the pastor was well-meaning. I, I, I had no, no issue with his intention. His intention was to protect his flock. Well, the rabbi said, you know, why did we go into Babylonian captivity? Well, because we broke this law and this law and this law. And so when they came back from Babylonian captivity, they said, well, this is the law. We don't want to break it because we know what happened when we did. So we're going to, we're going to build a fence and we're going to put this rule. And those are the Talmudic rules. When Jesus comes along, by the way, he, he confronts all of this with the Pharisees who were the, uh, who were the, uh, the oral law people of the day. Modern Judaism is Pharisaical Judaism. But if we put this fence up, uh, if you jump that fence, as it were, you still haven't broken God's law, so it's for your best interest. 
And if one fence is good, two fences are better. And, you know, maybe on the border with Mexico, but no, we're not on the border with Mexico, spiritually speaking. Um, and, and what it did is it moved them, intention good, I have no question about that, away from the teaching of the Word of God. And in this instance, they went to the conservative. They went to the right, where some people move to the left and get involved in, in liberal type of stuff. And God wants us to be Bible believers. Um, and sometimes it gets difficult. Why? Because of the pressure. The pressure we get from our friends, from our... Uh, I know there's a lot of pressure in pastoral circles. Because pastors generally have, how should I put this, pastoral friends. There, there may be a church, for example, that fellowships with whatever group of churches are in that fellowship. And there's a huge amount of pressure within that church fellowship to adhere to the, um, uh, the attitudes of that fellowship, which are oftentimes not biblical. I, I wouldn't even call it a doctrine. I, sure, doctrine means teaching in that sense, but I, you know, I think of doctrines as the deity of Christ. No, it's just the, you know, you know years ago, you know, hey, wire rim glasses were sinful because only hippies wore wire rim glasses, and uh, guilty. Um, where is that in the Bible? You know, and, and, and bell bottoms years ago were, were a sign of rebelliousness. Well, I, I, I searched all the way, you know, I had to get, when I got saved, I burned all my bell bottoms. Um, I had bell bottoms, I didn't burn them. But um, I'm, uh, you know, being a little facetious there. Uh, I was a hippie. I was a hippie. My hair was down in the middle of my back. I, w I was, you know, anyway. And so then I got caught up in this church culture that was, woo! Anyway. The whole point I'm making is what God tells Joshua. Turn not from it, from the Bible, to the right or to the left. Don't get so fundamental that you're away from the Word of God. Don't get so liberal that you've left the Word of God. That is difficult. It's a narrow walk, but it's God's walk. So it's, it's, it's knowing this book well enough to live your life based on it and to the point that you are not um, negatively influenced by Christian friends or pastors, you have to become settled in your mind that this is true. This is what the Word of God teaches. And, and live based on that. Um, Joshua is told. Then look at verse 8. This book of the law shall not... And, and I put in bold what really is the, the heart of what I wanted to bring out. This this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. So you need to know this book. You need to meditate on it. You need to practice it. You need to live it in your life. These two verses, biblical faith. Based on the word of God, observe it. Live it out. Evidence in your life. And then it says... For then shall thou make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. But the prosperity here, the success here, is not materialism, it's not money, 
It's not a position of power in any kind of uh, whatever. It's God's blessing in your life. If you know the word of God and you follow it, just like God told Joshua, you will have God's blessing. You'll be not only like the men and women of uh, Israel who went into Jericho, but you'll be like Rahab, as it were, who got into the Hall of Fame of Faith. So it's so very important that we know this book, we know the Bible, and we practice it. And, and don't go in either direction. Keep a straight line. Um, because you are going to be pulled. And, and you're really not pulled. You're pushed. I, you, can, you can find, think of, think of Christianity and, and the teaching of Christianity as a road. Okay? You know, right down the middle here. Okay? And then you have a ditch on each side. Okay? Um, where do we want to be? We want to be right in the middle of the road. This, no cars on this road, only people. So you're not going to be hit by a truck. Don't worry about that. You're walking down the middle of the road. You want to be solidly biblical, straight on biblical. Well, in the Christian world, you have doctrines uh, at, at both ends, sides of the road, both ditches. Take, for example, baptism. There are some in the Christian world that teaches baptismal regeneration. That unless you're baptized, you, you're not saved. That's one ditch. Then you have on the other side of the road another ditch teaching by some Christian group says baptism is not for today. It's unimportant. We shouldn't practice it. Don't be baptized. It's not for you. Well, those are two extremes. What is the middle of the road? Baptism is for day, today, but it doesn't save. It's a picture of what Jesus did for us, and we do it in obedience to his command. Think of the Lord's table. Same thing. You have those in the Christian world, I use Christian loosely, one ditch who say that that juice and that bread is literally the blood and the body of Jesus Christ. That, it, that, that it, it's the re-crucifixion of Jesus. So, and that's Catholics. You know who you know I'm speaking of. Um, and, and some of the other groups are not that much, but that's transubstantiation. And Lutherans and, and those of that, they're not that far off from transubstantiation. They believe in consubstantiation. Trans meaning it, it, it changes. The substance changes into literally the blood and the body of Jesus Christ. Con meaning with. That Jesus is actually with that blood or that juice that becomes his blood and that wafer that becomes his body. He's with it. So and, and it's, 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 it's a millimeter away from transubstantiation is what it is. But regardless, that's one ditch. That's wrong. Again, on the other side, you have groups who tell us that, hey, the Lord's table is not for today. That's been done away with. We are not to practice the Lord's table. Don't do it. Well, what's the biblical position? Well, but what's the picture? It doesn't, it doesn't turn into the body, body and blood of Jesus Christ. It's not something that we throw away and don't do. No, we do it, and it's a, it's a, it's a remembrance. It's symbolic 
uh, an illustration of what Jesus did for us. But it's only a juice. It's only a cracker. It's not at anything. It's just a picture. That's all it is. So. I don't want to go down that road. That's a, not that I'm afraid to answer it, but that opens up a whole new can of worms. I, you know, when you look at the scriptures, and Jesus turned for the last time, he turned the, it was, it was uh, fruit of the vine. When you take the fruit off the vine and squeeze it out, you, don't, you do not get fermented beverage. On top of it, nobody doubts that it should be unleavened bread that is partaken of. It comes from the Passover. Um, now, who was it? Who, who, who had that famous picture and scene that had a nice, big, fat loaf of white bread? Um, Michelangelo, who was it? Uh, da Vinci? Yeah. He, he didn't know his Bible. He should have had a nice, thin, small little piece of matzah there. But, uh, you know. You, you, you know and, and I think the reason for unleavened bread and then getting to the juice, um, it's a, unleavened, leaven in the Bible at times is a picture of sin. He had no sin. So unleavened bread, not a nice white, you know, hey, eat it in, for breakfast in the morning with jelly on it. Not the, not the unleavened, the leavened bread. But it's a picture of his body. So I, I think if you want to mirror as, as close as possible, I think use unleavened bread. Now, and, and let me first then, same with the juice. You know, his blood was perfect. Because everything about him was perfect. A fermentation is a, what's the word I'm looking for? It's a um, corruption, thank you. Yes, it's, it's not what you, you ferment, to ferment, to fermentate is a corruption process. Well, do you want to have something that's been fermented, which represents our Lord's blood because it's in a corruption? He was without corruption. So for that alone is the fruit of the vine. I, I personally think it should be non-alcoholic juice, and I think it should be unleavened bread. Now, I've sat with preachers before, and they said, okay, that's fine. If you live in the country where you can get unleavened bread and you know, uh, non-alcoholic grape juice or whatever. But if you're stranded on an island with a couple of people, and you're all believers, and you want to celebrate the Lord's Supper. Can you use clams and coconut juice? Amen. Why not? Why not? I mean, it's just symbolic anyway. So why not? Now, I wouldn't do that if I can buy unleavened bread, you know. And that was generally the conclusion that came, certainly, because it's all symbolic. Uh, and if that's all you have, and the Lord wants you to remember it, ah, go ahead and do it. Um, so tomorrow we're going to have a clam, and no, no, we're not. So, but anyway, you can always find these. So anyway, that's my answer to you on that, the short answer. Um, you can find it in, in all kinds of doctrine. Um, predestination, election. I'll touch this untouchable subject. You have one side of the road that God has, according to some, 
predestinated everybody to heaven and the rest of people to hell. Nobody has a choice. And God has done that. Then you have on the other side of the road another ditch where uh, it's all up to man. And God's really not involved. So if you can do what you can do and you do your good enough works, God will let you. You know, both of those are wrong. You know, there's a middle of the road there. And we're not going down that road today because that's a 10-week lesson. Uh, so we just don't have time. But, but you, can, you, you, can, you can find that in just about every single doc. Salvation. You know, salvation is of works. Uh, then you have universalism. You know, you can, you can find it in every, just about every single doctrine. So what do you need to do? I need to move on. This is what I need to do. But anyway... <laughs> Don't go to the left, don't go to the right. You know, we, we need to find out what the Bible says and stand on it and believe it and, and uh, will ultimately be pleasing to God. So, and and what, what did he tell, what's he do, you know? <clears throat> Look at verse eight. The, this book of the law shall not depart out of them, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. How often do you need to be considering the word of God, studying the word of God? All the time. Not just on Friday night Bible study or Sunday morning, evening, Wednesday, however often you go to church. You need to be studying the Bible. I think the best way to learn the Bible is do it topically. In other words, I want to learn about is Jesus really God? And, and, and just do an exhaustive study from Genesis to Revelation uh, that Jesus is Jehovah God and learn that and understand that and be able to share that. And so when a JW comes along and says, he's really not J uh, Jehovah God, you can, ah, let me show you why he's not. The Trinity, same way, or the triunity of God, learn that. Uh, salvation by, gra uh, by grace through faith alone. Uh, learn that. Uh, then ultimately get in, into the, the more the other topics like premillennialism. It was Jesus coming back before the thousand-year reign? Is there even a thousand-year reign? Some Christians say there's no thousand-year reign. So you've got to dig in and you've got to study uh, and then you become uh, solid in the Word of God and you observe to do what you learn. Um, it just takes work. But you want to be successful. Look at the end of verse 8. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, then thou shalt have good success. You've got to have biblical faith. Well, let's see what happened because the whole point of this, by faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they were compassed. The walls were compassed about seven days. Well, uh, initially, and I didn't put the map in here. I should have taken that out. But anyway, uh, the two spies were sent to, uh, to, to view, or no, it's not a map, to map out the land. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out of Shittim two men to spy secretly, saying, go view the land, even Jericho, and they went and came into a harlot's house named Rahab and lodged there. So who are the two men that Joshua sent out, these two men anyway? I don't remember either. Caleb. <laughs> Caleb, and who was who the other one that came back with a good report, so. Anyway, look at the next verse. 
or 23 and 24. The two spies, the two men returned and descended from the mountain, passed over and came to Joshua, the son of Nun, and told him all the things that befell them. And they said unto Joshua, truly the Lord had delivered into our hands all the land, for even all the inhabitants of the country do, be, do faint because of us. So two of them came back, 12 to start with. Two of them came back. Uh, they had a good report. Now, what is this positive report based on? Pardon? What they saw, but remember, what is, remember, you always go back to faith. Faith, faith is always based on the word of God, evidenced in our lives, or in this case, these people's lives. Here. What is the positive report based upon? It's by faith, the word of God. They were told to go into the land and that they would be given the land. In Genesis 15, verse 18, God made a covenant. Now, it started back in Genesis chapter 12, but it's repeated in chapter 15 in the cutting of the covenant. And we are told in verse 18, in the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, unto thy seed have I given this land, from the river of Egypt unto the great river, the river Euphrates. Now, I have no doubt that Joshua knew the word of God, what was available at that time, because what had God told him to do? All that Moses has written, meditate. So, no, it doesn't mean everybody had a book like we do. But, every, but Joshua certainly, and he, at, at later on, he would read, open, the, open it and read to the people. And Ezra did later the same, the same type of thing. He, 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 he knew the promises of God when it came to the land that God had promised the Jewish people. That promise, Jeremiah 32, Ezekiel 36, Amos chapter 9. Uh, look, look at Jeremiah 32. I'm not sure we're going to look at all of these, but if you open your Bible to Jeremiah chapter 32. Now, obviously, this is way past the time of Joshua. But in Jeremiah chapter 32, 37 through 42. It says this. Behold, I will gather them out of all countries, whither I have driven them in mine anger. Now, Jeremiah is uh, speaking of the prophet before the Babylonian captivity. And at the beginning of the Babylonian captivity. But what is this return that is being addressed here? Not from Babylon, but from worldwide. Worldwide. Now, the implication is you're coming back from Babylon, so you will ultimately go into worldwide captivity. But I will gather them out of all countries, God says, where there I have driven them in mine anger and my fury and in great wrath. And I will bring them again into this place, and I will cause them to dwell safely. That's the people of Israel, the Jewish people. And they shall be my people, and I will be their God. Now, we mentioned this phrase uh, when we looked at the Passover, whether it was last week, a couple of weeks ago, I don't remember. But this is the phrase, the same phrase that's found in Exodus chapter 6. I will be their God, they shall be my people. That is the fourth cup of the Passover Seder, the cup of acceptance. 
and it is always used in an eschatological framework. Always used of the second coming and speaking of Israel when it's used and God being their God and they being his people, meaning they're all born again, those who make it through the end of the tribulation period. So I, and they shall be my people and I will be their God. When will that happen? When I bring them from all the countries of the world. Then verse 39. And I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me for ever for the good of them and of their children after them. I will give them one heart and one way. What is that one way? Jesus. And one heart, meaning they will all believe the same thing together. They will all have a circumcised heart. And then verse 40. And I will make an everlasting covenant with them that I will not turn away from them to do them good. I had to turn the page and it was sticking. But I will put my fear in their hearts that they shall not depart from me. Yea, I will rejoice over them to do them good. I will plant them in this land assuredly with my whole heart, with my whole soul. For thus saith the Lord, like as I have brought all this great evil upon this people, so will I bring upon them all the good that I had promised them. The evil that God allowed to come upon them. Crusades, pogroms, the Holocaust, the events of the tribulation period with Satan and all the nations of the world. God brought that upon them in, in, in judgment, in discipline. But just as he did that, he will also bless them and bring these manifold blessings upon them when he brings them out from all the countries of the world. It, it, it boggles my mind that there are Christians, lots of them, who say they're not, they, Israel has no right to the land, this is not biblical, what's happening today, you know, and, and, and that type of thing. That is just so wrong. Joshua, the children of Israel, knew the teachings of, of Moses. We have a lot more than the teachings of Moses. We, we if I remember correctly, uh, something like 157 verses or passages in the Word of God that talk about the land promise for the Jewish people, for the nation of Israel, eternal covenant, everlasting covenant, uh, 157 different times, that's it. You know, it's kind of like, you know, if God says it once, what should we say? Amen. amen. If God says it twice, amen, amen. Okay. Now, I'm gonna, don't say amen, 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 157, but you get the point. I mean, 157 times. If God doesn't bring the Jewish people back to the land and ultimately bless them in that land, he's a liar. But he's not a liar. He's doing exactly what he said. Why was Joshua and the children of Israel able, at least those two, two spies, come back with a good report? They knew the word of God. God had promised them that they would have that land and that they would have that as their country. 
So in Joshua chapter 3, in verses 1 through 3, and Joshua rose early in the morning, and they removed from Shittim and came to Jordan, he and all the children of Israel lodged there before they passed over. And it came to pass after three days that the officers went through the host, and they commanded the people, saying, When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the priests of the Levites bearing it, then ye shall remove from your place and go after it. When you see the ark of the covenant and, and it ultimately moves, that's your marching orders. Follow on, uh, because we're going to take the lamb. They are very uh, solid in what they're going to do because it's based on the word of God. Now, look at verses 15 through 17 on the next page, on the back of it. As the, and, as the, and as they that bear the ark were come unto Jordan, and the feet of the priests that bear the ark were dipped in the brim of the water, for Jordan overflows all his banks all the time of harvest, that the waters which came down from above stood and rose up upon a heap very far from the city, Adam, that is beside Zaratan. And those that came down toward the sea of the plain, even the salt sea, failed and were cut off, and the people passed over right against Jericho. And the priests that bear the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst of Jordan. And all the Israelites passed over on dry ground until all the people were passed clean over Jordan. Now, this is uh, akin to leaving Egypt. Uh, they crossed the Red Sea, which was a lot larger, bigger body of water than the Jordan. But the same type of thing happened here. Now, it was based on the Word of God, but certainly the Israelites that had made it to this point had seen and experienced over and over and over again God's faithfulness, God's work in their midst. Now, there were some who wanted to go back to Egypt, but they didn't go into the promised land, right? Uh, but these did. And these were men and women of faith. And, and we'll talk about this uh, as we go down a little bit in, in a little bit. You cannot have biblical faith without biblical salvation first. You have to have had an experience with God where you are transformed. Where if any man is in Messiah Christ, he is a new creature. All things pass away. All things become... You have to have that transformative experience with the living Christ that it's an experience. You're not saved by experience, you're saved by faith. But there is a real change that comes in your life. Uh, there's a lot of people in churches who've never had that change. It's the difference between reformation, transformation. Reformation is people go to church and they try to follow the teachings of the church. Ten Commandments, the, uh, the Beatitudes, whatever the case might be. And they try to reform their life to meet the particular standard of whatever church or religious body it is. That's Reformation. Reformation is, is you know, putting... Um, What's the, putting lipstick on a pig. That's the one I was looking for. You know, you, you may look, make the pig, pig look a little bit nice. I'm not sure that's possible. But anyway, you know, you haven't done anything to change the nature of that pig. That's right. Still a pig. Amen. It's still, it's still an oink oink. Transformation 
think of the butterfly or the caterpillar initially. That caterpillar goes into a cocoon and after a period of time, he comes out as a butterfly. He is transformed. Now, reformation is that caterpillar going to the butterfly store. Because I like that pair of wings, and I like those pair of whiskers. And, and so he buys them, and he straps them on his back, and then he dresses up as a butterfly. And so he goes to the top of that bush and says, I'm, I'm a butterfly now, and so I'm going to jump off and fly. And so he jumps off and, and tries to uh, flap the wings, and what happens? He crashes. That's, that's religious people. God wants transformation. The Israelites here had that transformation, and they had seen the power of God in their life. They went here across the Jordan. Um, then in chapter 4 and 23 and 24, here's the reason the Jordan was dried up. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of Jordan from before you until you were passed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea. See, there's the, 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 the parallel, if you will. Which he dried up from before us until we were gone over, that all the people of the earth might know the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty, that you might fear the Lord your God forever. Now, there's numbers of scriptures that teach that ultimately God will show the world that he is the Lord through how he deals with the Jewish people. Numbers of scriptures. Same type of thing here. He, he showed his mighty works through how he operated with the nation of Israel that the nations might fear the Lord your God forever. So that's why he dried it up. Not only the Jordan, but the Red Sea. The Red Sea was... They're both miraculous. I mean, if you, can, if you can dry up the Red Sea, you can dry up the Jordan. But I'm sure the, the Red Sea, how, how many years were they in the wilderness? 40 years. Uh, that was preceded with the drowning of the army of Egypt. Armies, maybe I guess you should say. Did all the Egyptians die? No. What did the ones who didn't die, wives, young people, whatever, who stayed behind, what do you think they did? They were told their cousin, they told their friends, they told their neighbors, they might go visit another country and said, you wouldn't believe what happened to our armies. The God of Israel did this. And so the exploits of the God of Israel would, 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 would in 40 years would probably cover the land. I don't mean just the land of Israel. So God did this to advertise that I am the one true God of heaven and earth. What Joshua ultimately did, he reestablished circumcision because those who had well, gone through, the younger people, they hadn't been circumcised. Now that probably was a little painful, but hey, that was the command. Uh, that's where Joshua followed every single command of God. Passover was observed in chapter 5 as well. And later on in chapter 5, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were compassed about seven days. That's verse uh, from Hebrews 11. But in 5 and 13 through 15, fascinating um, uh, portion of this whole story of Joshua. And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, there stood a man over against him with his sword drawn in his hand. 
Joshua went on to him and said on him, Art thou for us or for our adversaries? You know, Joshua was a great man of faith. Now, who are you with, us or them? If you're with them, you're in a lot of trouble because the Lord's on our side, is basically. He, he's not stating it, but he's implying it. Well, this individual says, and he said, No, but as captain of the host of the Lord am I now come. I'm the captain of the host of the Lord. I'm in charge of all the armies of heaven. <coughs> wow, that moved Joshua. What did he do? Fell on his face to the earth and did worship. Now, now that alone tells us a lot. Who, are the, who is the only one mankind is commanded to worship? God. When Joshua fell on his face and worshiped this individual, who as far as Joshua could see was just a man who had a sword, who was a warrior like he was a warrior, who are you with? And when he said, I'm with God, I'm in charge all of the heavenly host, Joshua recognized that this was God himself. This is a theophany, or probably just as well put a Christophany. A theophany is what? Theo is God. Epiphany means made known or manifest. God made manifest. So a Christophany is Christ made manifest in the flesh. He saw Jesus is what he did. There are numbers of times in the scripture that you have Christophanies. Here's what Arno Gabaline said in his annotated Bible. And, and I didn't finish reading this. Um, he did worship and said on him, What saith my Lord unto his servant? And the captain of the Lord so said unto Joshua, Loose thy shoe from off thy foot, for the place wherein thou stands is holy. And Joshua did so. Now, what previous experience that Joshua was probably well aware of, the same type of thing took place with whom? Moses. Burning bush, right? This place is holy. Gabaline said this. It is the same one who appeared to Moses in the burning bush. To Abraham at Mamre. To Jacob at Peniel. And to others afterward. It is Jehovah in visible form. These theophanies were surely not incarnations, yet they foreshadowed the incarnation of the Son of God. The incarnation is, is unique, distinct, stands alone as an event in the history of the world. Because the incarnation is God coming into the world as a man, but through the birth process. A theophany is God coming into the world as a man, but only in a visible appearance. It's like somebody could walk in the door right now and come here, and, and, and theoretically, it won't happen, but theoretically, could be a theophany. Could be Jesus appearing to man. Now, we see this a lot of times in Scripture. Um, in Genesis chapter 16, the angel of the Lord uh, found her, Hagar, by a fountain of water in the wilderness, by the fountain in the way of Shur. Uh, but notice what, at the very end, uh, well, look at verse 10. Um, the angel of the Lord said unto her, I will multiply thy seed exceedingly, that it shall not be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Behold, thou art with child, shall bear a son, and shall call his name Ishmael, 
because the Lord hath heard thy affliction. Um, the Lord is going to return and she's going to be pregnant. And then uh, verse 13, she called the name of the Lord that spoke unto her, thou God seeth me. You're, you're the Lord, you're God himself. As she said, have I also here looked after him that seeth me? Jehovah God, Theophany, visited Hagar here. We have in Genesis 18. Remember, in, in Abraham hosts three men. One of these men is clearly Jehovah. The other two were angels. But Abraham hosted Jehovah God, who was in flesh, and two angels who also took on flesh appeared as men. That's why he said to the servant, go you know, prepare a meal for them. I want to feed them. They're hungry, and yada, 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 yada. A theophany. Um, go to the third page. Genesis 29. And Jacob asked him and, and said, tell me, this is Jacob wrestled with the angel uh, <coughs> at Peniel. And said, tell me, I pray thee thy name. And he said, wherefore is it that thou dost ask her after my name? And he blessed him there. And Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face. And my life is preserved. He wrestled with God. But that angel of the Lord was actually a man, appeared as a man. God took on flesh at theophany, and Jacob saw God face to face. In Isaiah 37, 16, the angel of the Lord went forth and smote in the camp of the Assyrians 185,000. That angel of the Lord, again, is Jesus. In Judges 13, the angel of the Lord appeared unto the woman and said unto her, Behold, now thou art barren, and bearest not, but thou shalt conceive and bear a son. And then later on, the angel of the Lord said unto Manoah, thou art, Though thou detain me, I will not eat thy bread. And if thou wilt offer a burnt offering, thou must offer it unto the Lord. For Manoah knew not that he was an angel of the Lord. In other words, that he was the Lord. And Manoah said unto the angel of the Lord, What is thy name? That when thy sayings come to pass, we may do thee honor. And the angel of the Lord said unto him, Why askest thus after my name, seeing it is secret? Now, the King James translation of that word in Judges 13, uh, seeing my name, seeing it is secret, uh, is actually the word Pele. Now, in Isaiah 9, 6, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government uh, shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Wonderful there. In Isaiah 9, 6, it's Pele. Now, no, notice, uh, I know you don't read Hebrew, but, but notice the Pe and the Lamed and the Aleph. You read from right to left, by the way. You know, we're going from right to left. And the word secret, there's a little um, uh, Yod, little apostrophe, not apostrophe, a little uh, apostrophe, yeah. Well, it is essentially the same word as Pele of Isaiah 9, 6, meaning wonderful. Shall be called wonderful counselor. Uh, the word Pele, for example, is used in Psalm 78, 12. Marvelous things did he do in the sight of their fathers in the land of Egypt in the field of Zoan, speaking of what God did. Pele. 
Pele is used and it speaks of miraculous works, the wonderful works of God. <clears throat> and so when we have this word secret here, how come you ask, seeing that my name is wonderful, my name is miraculous, my name is the same name, as it were, that would be later given to us of that child who would be born, the son who is given, who is Pele Joez. I think it's uh, Aviad, uh, Pelejoez, Aviad, Sarshalom, yeah, Avia, Pelejoez, uh, Pele, wonderful, amazing, speaking of God. So Manoah then took a kid with a meat offering and offered upon a rock unto the Lord. The angel did wondrously, and Manoah and his wife looked on, and it came to pass, <coughs> when the flame went up toward heaven from off the altar, that the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame of the altar. And Manoah and his wife looked on it and fell on their face to the ground. You know, it is not uncommon in the scripture when man is visited by God and they recognize it, what do they do? Fall on their face on the ground. What did Joshua do? Fell on his face to the ground. What did Manoah and his wife do? Fell on their face on the ground. What did Ezekiel do? In chapter 1, when he's visited by the Lord himself in that amazing vision, he fell on his face and worshipped. What did John do in the Revelation at Patmos when he saw that he fell on his face? Paul, in essence, did the same thing on the road to Damascus. Manoah and his wife did the same thing. Verse 21. But the angel of the Lord did no more appear to Manoah and his wife. Then Manoah knew that he was an angel of the Lord. And Manoah said unto his wife, We shall surely die because we have seen God. The angel of the Lord is God, a theophany. That was the individual who visited Joshua. Now, initially he didn't recognize who it was. But he, and we can only imagine, you know, was this a six foot eight, muscular, um, Saul, King Saul type of uh, man with a sword drawn, then Joshua's a little David type of, I don't know. Uh, you know, we don't know. Uh, but, but Joshua had all kinds of faith. He knew the promise of God. And what did God tell him? Don't fear anybody. Fear no one, because I am with thee. So even though this stranger this, with a sword shows up, who are you with? You with us? Or are you with them? He, he, you know, he, he was on safe ground because he, he believed God, trusted God. And then he worshiped. Well, the command of God, verses 2 through 5, chapter 6, the Lord said unto Joshua, See, I have given into thine hand Jericho and the king thereof and the mighty men of valor, and you shall pass the city, all you men of war, go around about the city once. Thus shalt thou do six days, and seven priests shall be before the ark, seven trumpets of ram's horns, uh, and so on. And it shall come to pass, verse 5, uh, you know, verse 4 talks about seven times. You come to pass that when they make a long blast of the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city shall flat, flat, fall down flat, and the people shall ascend up every man before straight before him. Now, here's the command. Not only did Joshua believe it, though, but the whole company of Israel believed it. Because the whole company, the whole nation, they had to march around the walls. They all believed what God said. 
And the response to God's command was to follow his word exactly, which they did. Now, we're not going to turn to what Saul did in 1 Samuel 15, but he did only partial of what God commanded. He had all kinds of problems in his life afterwards. So verse 27. So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame was noised throughout all the country. He was a man of faith. And so were the people. God had promised the land to the Jewish people. He believed it. The people believed it. And they conquered that land because God had promised that with the walls of Jericho falling down. Now, look at the next page, the verse, verse 31. By faith, the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not when she had received the spies with peace. Rahab was a prostitute, a whore. God hates this sin, but God loved Rahab by faith. So what does this tell us? Rahab believed what? God's word. That's what faith is all about. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. That's the word of God. It's evidence, though, in how we live. By faith, Rahab perished not with them that believed not. She, somehow, some way, knew God's word. At least enough of it to act on it in the way that she did. Now, the promise of God's word, Joshua 2.9, and again back to Genesis 15.18, she said unto the men, I know that the Lord God hath given you the land, and that your terror has fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. I've heard of your exploits. I know people are scared. But I also know that God has given you the land. Now, we, we don't have much information. We don't have any information on how she knew that. But, it, but it's, it's unquestionably based on the word of God. It could be Genesis 15, 18. Maybe somebody told her that promise, whatever. But she knew, and she says this to the men, I know that God has given you the land. Because I know what the word of God says. And everybody around here is scared. Not because you've been given the land, because they've heard what happened to the Egyptians. They've heard of all the mighty works that this God has done. So they are scared the wrong reason. Rahab's actions are based on the correct reason. Faith. Understanding what God has promised the Jewish people. Verses 10 and 11, we have the power of God. We have, were, we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. See, again, the Egyptians who, who remained, they started, over 40 years, they told a lot of people, they told the people of Jericho. Somehow they got the word. They told all these people about the exploits of the God of Israel. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. What you did unto the two kings of the Amorites, how they died, that were on the other side, Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. 
And as soon as we heard these things, our heart did melt. Neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is, in, he is God in heaven above and in the earth beneath. And so she says, our whole city was just scared to death. Because we've heard what your God did to the Egyptians, did to uh, Og and uh, Sion, <coughs> and to um, the exploits of your God. Now, the difference between Rahab and the others again is she put her trust in the God of Israel. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and earth beneath. What do you think the testimony was of the other inhabitants of Jericho? Our God is the true God. Now, we, we're scared of your God because we know what he has done. And, and by the way, in, in biblical times, the ascendancy of a nation also paralleled in the minds of the people the ascendancy of, that God, of their God. In other words, if you were the most powerful nation, your God is the most powerful God. You can see it in 1 Samuel 4 through chapter 6 with the Philistines and Dagon and all of that. You can see it in the 10 plagues. That was against gods of Egypt. You can see it in, 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 in Og and Sihon and the gods that they worship. When they were killed, the God of Israel. So they're concerned. The inhabitants of Jericho are concerned because, hey, we've got our gods, but no other God's been able to stop the God of Israel, so we are frightened to death. Rahab's testimony was, there's only one God in heaven and earth, Jehovah God. She was a believer. She became saved. <clears throat> For the Lord your God, he is God. In heaven above and in earth beneath, he's the only God. In, in verses 12 through 21 of Joshua 2, we have the mercy of God sparing her entire family. And, and ultimately, what would happen, uh, and we'll look as we go down, uh, ultimately, and, and Rahab perished not with them that believe not, her whole family was spared and ultimately moved to Israel and lived in Israel the rest of their life. And, and by the way, when you, when you became a believer as a Gentile in biblical, in, in uh, in the earlier scripture times. If you became a believer, you joined with the nation of Israel because that's where God was. And that's where God's people were. And you wanted to be with God's people. Think of Ruth. She wouldn't go back or, or you, know, you know, your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Well, the same thing with Rahab. L move down to the end. Joshua 6, before we go back up. Uh, Rahab and her family was saved and lived in the land of Israel. And Joshua saved Rahab, the harlot alive, and her father's household, and all that she had. And she dwelt in Israel even unto this day, because she hid the messengers which Joshua sent out to spy out Jericho. And she ended up in the lineage of the Messiah. In Matthew 1, 5 and 6, And Solomon begot Boaz of Rahab, or Rahab, and Boaz begot Obed of Ruth, and Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David the king, and David the king begot Solomon of her that had been the wife of Uriah, and ultimately through David would come the Messiah of Israel, the son of David. But notice who's in this line. Rahab. Rahab. She's in the messianic line, this Gentile gal. 
Now, there are other Gentile women in the line as well, but here we have Rahab, and, and she joined with the people of Israel. She joined with the nation of Israel because that's where the God of Israel was. But, but here's where it comes to Rahab initially and, and all other people. Unsaved people need to believe God's word. Just as Rahab believed the promise of God's word, knew the power of God, and received the mercy of God, unsaved people need to believe the promise of God's word. Romans 10, 9 through 13. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whosoever believes on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Gentile, the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. What's the promise? If you believe in your heart that Jesus died for your sins, rose from the grave, you will be saved. That's the promise. The power of God. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. Did God raise Jesus from the dead? Yes. It's the power of God. You need to believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. And then the mercy of God. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You will find God's mercy, forgiveness of sin, having salvation. Just as Rahab believed the promise of God, understood the power of God, and ultimately received the mercy of God because she acted upon what she knew God had promised, well, that's what is faith. You know, we're going back to the same thing. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. You can believe Jesus died for your sins and was buried and rose again, but if you never act on that and believe it and receive him, it doesn't mount to a hill of beans for you. That's faith. Rahab believed it, acted on it. The promise of God, the power of God, she acted on it, and she received the mercy of God. Unsaved people start in the same place Rahab did. Today you have to believe the promise of God. You're a sinner. Jesus died for you. Receive it. You'll be saved. Understand that God did raise Jesus from the dead that you might be justified and you will be saved. You will find mercy. So she perished not with them that didn't believe. I find it Fascinating to have Rahab in this whole chapter. If I was writing a chapter on faithful people, there's no way I'd put Rahab in there. That's just evidence that I didn't write the Bible. You know, I, I just find it very fascinating that Rahab, because all of us, we relate much better with Rahab than Abraham. I guarantee, you know, if you say differently, I, I'll call you a liar. You know, we're not Abrahams. We're not Isaacs. We're not Jacobs. You know, we're more like Rahab. You know, but Rahab pleased God because she lived a life 
of faith. We can do the same thing. You know, that's the God we serve. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the challenge that we get through the people of Israel and uh, Jericho and all that took place there. And Rahab, what a blessing that she turned out to be. We can be that same blessing to people around us that Rahab was. Lord, help us to have the faith, biblical faith, to believe, to know the word of God, not turning to the left, not turning to the right, but walking a straight path, meditating night and day, observing to do all that is written therein. Then we'll be prosperous. Then will be successful as you define success not the world bless our fellowship bless the food and we give you thanks in Jesus name Amen. Shalom this is Mark Robinson executive director of Jewish Awareness Ministries thanking you for listening to our Bible study these Jewish Awareness podcasts are a teaching ministry of Jewish Awareness Ministries if you have questions about the study that you just listened to or would like additional information, go to our website, jewishawareness.org. Email us at office at jewishawareness.org or call us at 919-275-4477. Shalom.